Hey, everybody, it's Ryan from Pi Records, and I'm here with Lee McDade from Atomic Drag. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? Good, good. Um, so Atomic Drag, um, I see you, you've you been pretty busy this year. You have an EP and a single. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me when uh, the band started and... and uh, kind of what your idea was when you when you uh, got into it well um I'm, i would have started recording the first ep about march this year um all kind of happened by accident really i was working on something else and i wasn't really feeling it and i was just messing about in guitar and come out with um the third song in the ep was the first one i wrote uh just kind of fired my imagination kind of more than what i had been doing and uh, I just went with it and um, over, I don't get an awful lot of time to record. So I was just doing it in bits and pieces. And then by end of June, it was kind of ready to go, I felt. And I put that out and um, it did really quite well. Um, I had absolutely no expectations for it whatsoever. Um, so, I mean, the, the response to it was quite shocking, to be honest with you. <laughs> So, um, did you just have physical media, or did, did you have uh, a good response on Spotify and the streaming platforms? I have to say, um, I kind of took off in Bandcamp a bit first before I even thought about putting it on Spotify. Um, my Spotify stats are a little not, you know, crazy numbers of like a, a, a way more than than I thought they ever would be, um, especially um, about single there for Halloween and um, it got crazy plays I mean uh, that blew me away it was uh, it's the only song that's kind of over a thousand plays in Spotify so far and I, still, I wasn't expecting any of the response I've gotten to any of it so far at all and did you put the, the music out yourself? yeah that's awesome that's awesome um, so uh, it, it seems to me there's a a surf punk psychedelic kind of mm-hmm. garage rock influence uh, is that correct yeah that yeah. so kind of uh, covers all bases of kind of what what was going for when i started it um i kind of my whole background in music really is like coming from the early 90s when i would have been about 14 15 and um getting into pixies and sonic youth um the cure my favorite band on the planet and uh, that, that's kind of where my music taste is kind of informed from. Um, and I think my first kind of run with the idea of surf rock really would have been Pixies. The first Pixies album I got was Bossa Nova, which kicks off with Cecilia Ann, which I did a cover yeah. of in the first EP. And I so that was really my introduction to kind of surf rock as an idea. You know, obviously it's been around for years and, you know, growing up, you, you probably would have been aware of that. Like, but that's the first kind of when it really came to the forefront of my mind as a, a separate kind of genre, I suppose. And um, going on from that there, um, Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet were a huge influence. Um, to get into them, probably how most people get into them through watching the Kids in the Hall yeah. sketch show. Um, you know, so, I mean, that that's really, and it was always in the back of my mind, it was something I wanted to try and do, and I say, I was just sitting down messing about with the guitar, and it came out completely by accident, 
and I thought this is as good a time as any, I suppose, to to chase after the idea. You know, it's been in the back of my head for a while. Awesome. Uh, did you get to play any gigs yet in Ireland? Well, um, it's just me. <laughs> it's a one-man show so far. Um, and uh, things have only really opened up gig-wise again, but it's, I haven't really put any thought into the idea of gigging at the, at the minute. You know, I'm quite quite happy sitting here in the back room with my guitars, recording, just experimenting with stuff, really. Um, you know, most of my gigging days were like kind of from the mid-90s to the early 2000s. And as much as I miss playing live, I don't miss carrying heavy amplifiers all over the place and up flights and stairs, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, that's kind of like a double-edged sword, I suppose. Um, you know, it's, it's a nice idea, but if it, if it doesn't happen, you know, it's not the end of the world for me. I'm just enjoying writing, recording, putting the music out there at the minute. Awesome. Uh, so the, the Dracula theme that, that you went for uh, for Halloween, um mm-hmm. what what made you go with Dracula in particular? I am not hundred percent sure. I just kind of it was one of those ones where I, I come up kind of with the first riff on it and then the rest of the song kind of just suggested itself. you know I, I just go where it leads me. And by the time I'd kind of finished it and did the intro section, then that, that kind of it, it was suggesting to me kind of a Dracula type feel, you know, the kind of opening scenes of the uh, the movie, you know, and um, shots of the dark castle and the, the rain and the wind, and you know, it, it just it just seemed to suggest itself to me, you know, I just kind of follow the lead of over the writing text, I suppose. Yeah. I, I I heard some uh, some voiceover work uh, in in some of the songs. You want to um, uh-huh. talk about uh, how they inspired the song, or what what those what those voiceovers meant to you? Um, to an extent, I suppose doing instrumental music of this kind of nature, and you know. A, I wouldn't say, well, probably most of the stuff from the first EP probably had that kind of horror kind of feel to it. So you, you kind of want to try and kind of push that vibe a bit further. And adding the vocal samples helps do that. Um, as as far as, I mean, figuring out which ones you put into it, it's just a matter of sitting down, chopping them up, putting them in, see where they fit, see where they don't fit, you know, Bit of trial and error, I suppose, but it's all about adding to the feel of the track, you know, trying to get the, the whole vibe over. So, uh, I'm under the impression that you have uh, other music projects uh, going on. Is that true? Um, to an extent, I've kind of put them all on the back burner at the minute when Atomic Drag kind of took off because the stuff I was doing, I as far as recording goes, like I do it myself here at home, and that is still, I've been doing it for about the past 10 years, but just on and off, I've never really dedicated too much time to learning it properly. And at the start of this year, I decided I was going to put a bit more time into it. Um, but the music I had been working on, it just, I think to an extent, I wasn't doing it any justice because I 
didn't know my way around software and uh, it wasn't really firing my imagination to continue with it. So I thought instead of running that stuff into the ground, I would just do whatever came into my head just as a way to have something there in front of me to work with where I could learn how to use the software and record properly. And as I say, it's a complete accident that I came out with that song and I did because I say that that just, I, th I thought it was quite goofy and funny sounding. And I sent it to a few of my friends who said, this, this is great. Like, um, So I kind of just went further with it and it, it, still going i've got the new ep is recorded i'm just mixing it at the minute um hopefully to be out early next year um and it's just about enjoying the process you know at the start of the year the other stuff i was working on i wasn't enjoying the process of working on it and instead of banging my head off a brick wall and getting sick with it and jacking the whole thing in i just did something different which then i did find was enjoying it was fun and it was firing me up to keep going cool Cool, cool. Um, so the the new EP you're working on is it um, expanding on the original idea of where you started? I think to an extent there is uh, a bit of a wider range with it. It's not so horror based, I don't think. At the minute, there's maybe one or two tracks of that kind of feel. Um, you know, it's, I say, I think as far as um, the whole surf rock thing goes, and especially as far as the horror surf thing goes, there's so many bands out there doing it way better than I do. Ginky Ginky Panic and Creature Preachers and, you know, they all these bands, um, they're amazing. Night Chill as well, or another great band from Canada. And um, I think for me personally, there's only so far that I can take the horror surf thing and I need to start expanding out in different directions with it to kind of keep my interest in it fresh as well. And I think that's happening in the new EP, and I think it'll continue. You know, I think there's still quite a wide scope within the surf rock genre to go in many different directions and not get hemmed into one particular thing, like, you know, for me, the, the horror thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question about EPs. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of surf bands put out EPs as opposed to albums. Uh, what is what is your take on that? Uh, is it just getting the music out there when you when you finish it, you know, you you, you want to hit strike while the iron's hot? Or um, do, you, do, you, do you think short bursts are uh, a better way to go? Um, well, there's many different ways you can answer that. For me, personally speaking, um, the, the thing now seems to be is bands releasing singles, single songs, you know, um, online, Spotify and Bandcamp. And for me, coming from late 80s, early 90s, you know, it's albums were the thing, but it was also a great time for EPs. You know, you had all those My Bloody Valentine EPs and yeah. the Breeders Safari EP. You know, these were all big things, you know, from that shoegaze kind of era too, like the EP was a big was a big thing. Um, another part of it these days, I think, is people's attention span is uh, is getting shorter. Um, but also, I think for me, uh, because I've only limited time to sit down and write and record, you know, I've got my, my family um, to look after and 
you know, so as far as putting a single out like I did at Halloween is, for me personally speaking, like a stopgap type thing between longer releases. And I think, you know, I always lie towards the longer releases, but if I was to put my mind into doing an album, I think it would take far too long. There'd be too much of a of a gap between releases. Um, I had wanted to get the next EP out round about Halloween time. And I say time just wasn't working out for me, which is why I did the single instead. Um, but, you know, so it, many different things really. You know, for me, a single isn't enough. It needs to be longer. Uh, doing albums, I think, is going to take me way too long to put out. So an EP falls nicely in between that for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, plus, um, maybe, um, may, maybe uh, the themes um, would translate better in a, in a shorter format. Mm -hmm. uh, would, would you think that? I definitely agree with that there because not to use, I mean, I know the word concept kind of <laughs> tends to get, you know, so from the 70s prog era, people kind of tend to look down on it. I like the idea of a concept that kind of holds everything together you know, within the frame of an album or an EP. Um, that works for me. The first EP, I suppose, essentially was kind of like a horror thing. And the cover of Cecilia Am was just like a nod to, to my influences within the whole thing, you know. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't as such an over organ theme to the next EP. I think I've been started writing. What I did with the first EP was I wrote, recorded and mixed each song before I moved on to the next one. Because uh, part of my problem through the years is I've been great at starting things and terrible at finishing them. So <laughs> I made a point of, I'm not allowed to start a new song until I finish one. Um, with the new EP, what I did was write and record everything first with the intention of mixing it all afterwards, which I think was maybe a bad idea because it's taken me longer now. And, you know, you need those kind of breaks between like sitting staring at a computer screen and mixing and wearing your ears out. And the, yeah. the real kick in recording stuff is like in the writing it. You know, that's where the real excitement that comes when you get a good idea going and you're rolling with it and you can hear in your head where it's going and what you need to do next, what change needs to come. That's the exciting part for me. Um, but I I'm getting away from the question you asked here about, about uh, concepts and that. But yeah, no, I think that, that definitely, even if I don't follow a concept entirely through, it's always a good starting point, you know, you know, already I think for the whatever comes after this, I have a vague idea in my head of the type of feel I want to want to capture for it. You know, I'm not I say I sitting the other night that kind of thinking about it and it came into my head and it butterflies in the stomach. You know, getting excited about it. Yeah. You know, but even even it doesn't follow through. It's it's that initial kick of the idea. You know, and the excitement to get you fired up and going. You know, that that's that's where it lies for me. I think it's uh. It it must be pretty um, pretty much of a uh, freedom type thing for you, where you can sit and hear an idea come into your head and go lay like a scratch track down, mm -hmm. and uh, 
So it must be very freeing for you. Uh, what's that like? Um, it's great. I mean, I'm not beholden to anyone. This is not a career. It's essentially a hobby. So, you know, I, was, I can do whatever I want, essentially. You know, it's, you know, I did not expect, as I say, when I put the first EP out for people to take any notice of it, you know, and at the same time, that slight, very slight bit of attention that I got from it is still not going to influence what I come out with next. You know, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because again that that's where that's where part of the whole kick lies in you know the getting that initial spark of an idea and following it through um just to please yourself you know it's I hadn't heard the first EP for quite a few months there and you know because when you're sitting you write it you record it and then you spend time mixing it you you've heard it so much that you're not really hearing it anymore yeah um I sat down a couple of weeks ago there and listened to it for the first time in months, and you know, I was quite happy. You know, there was there's not much of a change about it. You know, I think um, as far as my skills go with mixing and that, there it's you know, they're at a certain level, and you're always learning. But I mean, for for what I knew or know at this particular time, I you know, quite happy with it when I listen back to it again. And it, again, it was it was for me for my own entertainment and the fact that other people like it is obviously you know you get a real kick out of that there and it's but again it's all about it being fun and if it gets to the point where i feel like i'm trying to please people and it's not fun anymore then it's time to do something different but i'm still enjoying myself awesome uh you bring up a good point about um uh, mixing mixing uh, the songs and how, how long it takes and you hear it over and over, you kind of get mm. burned out over the process. Yep. Um, a lot of people don't realize that you, you go in, you write, you record, but the mixing takes the most time. You want to talk mm-hmm. about your experience with the mixing? Um, it's something that... I've kind of been recording my own stuff from about, I'd say, 1999. I got my first four-track recorder it's sitting down here beside me, actually. Um, we task cam one, you know, but there, there's not much mixing involved there. You've only got four tracks to work with, and, you know, but th- that's what kind of got me started recording. I wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm overly interested in recording as such. It's just a means to an end to getting an idea out of your head and, you know, down onto some, you can hear it back. Um so for about the first 10 years I was using digital recording, I was basically using it as a glorified four track. I wasn't using it to its full capacity, you know, and um, I think I kind of got a bit sick of not knowing what I was doing. You know, I was really just sitting down and just kind of doing this, that and the other and hoping for the best. And um, I say at the start of the year, I decided to take it a bit more seriously and actually sit down and read up about, you know, and I'm not talking about anything overly complicated here. I'm just talking about the, the bare minimum basics of getting a half decent recording together and and mixing it. And I just followed a few tutorials, really. And what, what they always say and these things, you know, if it sounds good to you, then, then you're doing something right, you know. It's, and that's what it's all about. And it's, it's sometimes about 
being able to trust your own ears or trust your own instincts. And when you get to the mixing stage and you're hearing the same thing over and over again, you kind of start to doubt your own ears. It's always handy. I have a good friend of mine who yeah. so his own recordings as well that I would send stuff to him and he would, you know, give me some feedback and he does the same. He sends his stuff to me. And it's always good to have somebody to bounce off, which is obviously the downside of not being in a band. You know, I've, you know, been in bands since I was like 18 years old. And it's that, you know, always like being able to bounce ideas off other people in the room is great when you're sat down on your own. And if something's not going well and you're, you're constantly second guessing yourself, it can be hard to push forward. But I've always found that your first instinct is usually the right one, you know. Um, but so as far as the, the mixing thing goes, is it's just the more you do it, the better you get at it, I think. And that's all really, that's all I've been doing is trying to do it as much as I can, but not to the point where I burn myself out on it. Yeah. Uh, I see you have a fender behind you, uh, but I can't. Actually, a squire. <laughs> Okay, I can't read what kind of guitar it is. It's a Jag. Oh, look at that. Lovely. Beautiful. Nice guitar. But um, I would, obviously, I, mean, I would love an actual real Fender at some stage, but I mean, those wire guitars are amazing for the price. They really are. I've got um, another one as well. This is the, the Bullet Mustang. They're only like 120 quid over here in the UK. Oh wow! Um, they're great, great value for money as well. They're great for modern people. Buy them just to do them up, you know. But that's I'm a total gearhead. I love, love my pedals, my guitars, you know. What do you? Uh, what sort of pedals do you do you like to use? I know there's a very ambient sound to your to your music. Um, what are you using that you kind of favor? Um, there's a lot of. There's a lot of stuff that I use. Um, I tend to use guitar rig um, when I'm recording, but I also would run various pedals into um, into my interface as well. Um, the very first song I ever wrote, um, Atomic Undead, was a combination of these two pedals. Um, those are handmade by a guy in Belfast. Oh. Um, and that there, that's like a fuzz face, but a bit more extreme. And that is um, like an octave, but it's actually, it's more based on Ampeg Scrambler, which is like a ring modulator type pedal, which kind of gives it a kind of odd, kind of un unpredictable kind of edge to it. But those, I was messing about with those when I came out with the first song. And that's what I says to Graham that makes these pedals. I think if it wasn't for those, Atomic Drag might not even ever have happened, you know. So that's what I keep, keep saying to him, this one here, um, it only just started... Well, he'd been building pedals for years, but at the start of first lockdown, um, he decided to give some pedals away to musicians in lockdown just, just to lift people's spirits a bit, you know. And um, this might have been the first one I gave away because my wife knows his wife and says to him, I would love one, so this is what he sent out. And then um, shortly after that there, I think it was for Father's Day, Sarah had this one commissioned, the Fuzz Face one. And I use that quite a lot. It's all over the new EP as well. Um, as far as a lot of 
anything with delay and reverb is generally handled within guitar rig or any other separate plugins. I say it's not, I don't really have to worry about playing live. So I can really kind of, there's nothing too extreme at the minute effects wise, but I can't allow myself to get carried away if needs be, because I don't need to worry about recreating it live at the minute. Yeah. The, the, the delay that you use, do you play that while you're recording? Because that'll kind of give you a different feel of how you're strumming and, and things like that. Or do you add it yeah. during, during the mix? Generally, generally, I will set up as rough, as close to the sound I'm looking for as possible when I'm recording. And then I, I can tweak it afterwards. I think that's where I used to go wrong before was trying to get everything to sound perfect before I recorded what I was trying to record. And then you would get disheartened because you spent so long trying to find a good sound that, you know, then you're, you know, you've lost all interest in recording. And um, now I will get, as I say, unless there's a particular sound I want with the fuzz, you know, where it's going straight into the interface of that there is on the track that can't be removed once it's recorded. You know, so something like that there I need to be sure about beforehand but otherwise I get as close as possible um, just so I can get the stuff down and then I worry about you know tweaking everything in the mixing stage okay okay um, I'm interested in um, the strings that people use some people use a heavier gauge for mm -hmm. surf, for surf music they use the flat wound strings uh, what is your preference um, well my friend that um I use to for feedback when I send stuff to him. He swears by flat I've or flat wines. I've not actually tried them yet um, for years, and I figured this out recently. Um, I would use ten to forty six gauge strings because in nineteen ninety one, in a guitar magazine, there was an interview with the Pixies, who were like and still are one of my favorite bands. And they were saying, you know, they, they use 10 to 46 strings. And ever since then, that's what I used as well. But recently, especially because the Jag is short scale. So your the normal gauge strings I would use would feel a bit looser. So what I did was um, got a hybrid set where the bottom three strings here are the gauge I would normally use. The bottom three are heavier gauge than what I would normally use and I find it works a lot better in this particular guitar because it's a short scale um, but yeah that's for me I'd say halfway through this year and I think it's made all the difference to the feel of the guitar so it has but I'm going to say for years because the Pixies use 10 to 46 and I use 10 to 46 so that's how easily influenced and like how I suppose your, your tastes and that are formed at such an early age as well I think yeah um so when you split the gauges up on your guitar, do you the other gauge that you were talking about that you would normally use is that of the nines? Um, no tens, nines. I've always found to not enough tension on them really, um, and I always find whenever I very first started playing guitar about nineteen ninety, um, when I was using nines, I always break the high E constantly. And I was always asking yeah. my mom for money to go and buy a high E string at the music shop, you know. Um, I found once I jumped up to use tens, that happened a lot less frequently. Um, but that particular set is, um, I don't know, I'm about 
is Ernie Balls. You know, you don't have to buy two sets and split them up. That's if you can okay. see that there. That's um, yeah. So you have your proper gauges in there that I was using, which are ten to forty-eight. So the the last three strings are all up to in, in their gauge size. So that, that's what I use, and it's I feel it's made all the difference at the minute. Well, what is when you say it's made all the difference? What is what is it for the sound? Is it more for the sound or more for the feel of how you're playing? I don't think there's essentially much of a change in the sound, but definitely how it feels, you know, um, especially with a uh, short scale guitar, you know, so there is not as much length between the nut and the, the bridge. So um, say the 10 to 46s would feel a bit looser, whereas there's a bit more tension on your, your bottom three strings with the heavier gauge. So when you're doing, you know, like some of those um, techniques you would use in surf guitar where you're double picking, you know, you're able to do it a bit more um, precisely because the string was not flopping and you're not catching the pick every now and then. And, you know, it's not that I'm a very precise player or even a very good guitar player. Um, and since I stopped playing in bands, I've noticed my playing has just went downhill, you know, like from playing all the time to now just picking up the guitar every now and then. Um, but yeah, just as I say, for me, it's more the tension of the string, you know. Um, does that does that affect the action on your on your guitar? Um, uh, is it is um, it more assume, comfortable? I would assume. Um, now, whenever I had a guy um, locally set it up for me, um, and I gave him the heavy set of strings to do it with, so he set it up specifically for this. Is like just whenever I bought this guitar last year, the year before. And the minute it arrived, I sent it out to him to set it up for me with the heavier strings. And when they come back now, that was um, 11s. So they were heavy all across the board. And I felt it was too much. So I went back to 10 to 46. And after a few months of that, again, I felt, well, actually it was about a year. When I started doing the surf stuff and was trying to, you know, doing the double pick that I was talking about. Um, it just they felt too floppy. I wasn't accurate enough with the picking. Um, felt they needed more tension. So, and it hadn't even occurred to me to look and see if there was hybrid sets, you know, of two different sets of string gauges yeah. mixed. You know, that was like a light bulb moment, you know. But yeah, no, it's just it's all about the tension in those bottom bottom three strings because, like, if if you hit it hard and you have a lighter gauge, you you know, your string does that thing where it vibrates slightly out of tune and then comes back into tune again. You know, and that that's or um, I can't think of the word to describe the particular sound I'm thinking of, but it's always something that I want to avoid. Okay. Um so before we uh before we sign off, I want people to know where they can hear your music where they can contact you and find out a little bit more information on the band or, mm -hmm. or your music? Well, uh, Spotify, obviously, although it would be preferable if people went to Bandcamp, which is, um, what is it? Atomicdrag.bandcamp.com. Um, I am also on uh, Instagram, which is Atomic Drag. Uh, 
Twitter, which is Atomic Drag 666. And you can find me on Facebook as well. Um, I think that that's everywhere you can find me. Awesome. Um, is there anything you'd like to talk about or or mention before we sign off that we haven't talked about already? Uh, that was a weird noise. <laughs> <laughs> um, not immediately coming to mind. I am absolutely terrible at doing anything involved talking which is bizarre because this is the third podcast I've done now in the space of a few months and for somebody that hates the sound of their own voice it's really bizarre for me to find myself in the situation of doing this type of thing um but no just I would just like to thank anybody that's taken the time to listen even just once to check the stuff out you know anybody that's bought a t-shirt anybody that's you know Bought anything digitally online, even listened to anything on Spotify, just giving it any attention whatsoever. The all all the DJs, you know, Dotty at Paradise Cove and oh, yeah. Hunter at Storm, Storm Surge Reverb, and you know, all those guys, John Paul Black, that have given them plays, you know, on, on their shows many times over. It's been it's been great. And I'm very, very thankful to those people for taking the time to do that because I mean I just come out of nowhere there in July and yet they were willing to you know give me time in their shows to play my music and that be, always be eternally grateful for that and yourself for for having me on you know it's the fact that people ask me to do this sort of thing is, is very strange to me I can't, it's hard to get my head around at times I, I think it's very interesting to to talk to the the new bands um, in particular because the excitement is still fresh, fresh in their minds. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just starting out. Um, although most of them have been musicians at some point in their life. Um, but it, it seems like the excitement and, and, um, uh, DJ Dottie and Storm Surge mm -hmm. Reverb, uh, always love to jump on that because they yeah. always like to support the artists. Well, I have to say, whenever um, I uploaded the, the first EP to Bandcamp, and I think within half an hour, Dottie was the first person to buy it, you know? it's I found that mind-blowing that there was, like, somebody that I didn't know personally had gone out of their way to buy this thing that I put, you know, out there, you know, apart from my friend that I, you know, send stuff to for feedback, you know, he was went straight on and bought it straight away because he was very supportive. And um, but I say after that, Dottie was the first person to find it out and over and buy it and uh, to play one of the songs on the radio, you know. And I say that that was just mind blowing to me at the time. I couldn't believe it, you know. Only been out for about an hour, and for for her to do that and take the chance, and I, I see her doing it with loads of bands, and like yeah, she she is she is such love for for that this type of music, you know. Yeah, and um, Hunter as well, like all all of those guys. I mean, they're all there's a guy out of uh, wee town Tofino in Canada. Andre McGregor, do you know that guy? Cooks it. No. Radio show. It's, it's great. He does a couple of shows. He does one which is kind of a surf and garage stuff, and there's another one which like deals with more noise rock stuff, which are both great shows, but he's been really supportive as well. And as I say, these people just, you know, did... It's just mind-blowing to me that, you know, so many people have taken notice of it and played it, and as I say, very, very thankful to those people for doing so. 
uh, you you should check out uh, Shaking Cats Radio in uh, in Canada. They they have a surf right. show, and uh, they love to hear new bands. Oh, awesome! I've not heard of them yet. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're pretty well known in Canada. I've been I, I in the United States. People recommended that I talk to them, and I and I interviewed them on the podcast. And uh, they mm-hmm. have such a love for surf music. Yeah, well, let's check them out. Say they're they're a new one to me. Cool, cool. Well, I want to thank you so much, Lee, uh, for lending me your time. Um, I I wish you the best of luck on your new EP, and uh, you know maybe, maybe uh, we'll hear we hear some more this next year. Maybe you'll do a couple. Um, I, I yeah yeah. I, I really appreciate your time. I know it's the middle of the day where you might have some things going on, so I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day then. All right, Ryan. Thank you.